Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, kids. Uh, happy Friday to you. I uh, hope you're well. Uh, my name is Rob. You know who you are. Uh, we are live in the Oodle Noodle studio, and uh, I have it on good authority, a third Calgary location coming very, very soon in October. Um, we are an inclusive program. Everybody is welcome here. Everybody is welcome. We are an ally to all. Um, we just want you to have fun and, and enjoy sports and enjoy some conversations around sports. Uh, also, we are broadcasting live from Treaty 7 Territory. Uh, tomorrow is Truth and Reconciliation Day. Um, orange shirt day. It's an opportunity for us to listen. That's the biggest takeaway I have. Um, all kinds of different opportunities in and around Calgary to go and be part of events, uh, but to listen and to hear the stories and, and understand why this is so important and uh, so necessary. Um, it's game day. We can start there. Uh, the Calgary Flames playing host to the eminent Oilers. Um, of course, uh, the roster for the visitors is straight junk. And I like Derek Ryan. Nothing wrong with Derek Ryan. I like Brett Kulak. Nothing wrong with Brett Kulak. Now, for the guys at Oilers Nation, they're probably loving this. Uh, it's straight junk. I've seen other rosters. I've seen, well, I mean, the roster that the Flames sent to Winnipeg. I mean, it was in interesting to us, but I didn't think Winnipeg iced a very uh, competitive, not competitive, but an interest. We're, we're, aren't we at a point now that, you know, we really got to look at this thing and go, why? Let's, let's put it down to three games. Let's, let's go. Let's, you're charging people in some cases, full freight. You're attaching these games into the pack, into ticket packages, Really, what are you evaluating? Uh, Dan Vladar and Dustin Wolf are, are the goalies tonight. If they go in and they blank the Edmonton Oilers in preseason, did they blank the Edmonton Oilers in preseason? Or did they blank the Bakersfield Condors? In the, it's, I don't know. I, again, I, I, we love to see the kids. I get all of that. But, man, alive. It's such a game now. It is such a game now. We won't send our guys to your place and we're not, you know, and here's, here's a veteran, here's eight veterans. Um, I, I, it just seems to me that this, this is, has, you know, expand your rookie tournament. Maybe if you want to see your prospects play a couple games out in the community. And right now I, it, you know, 
I have some angry staff because all of those things take extra work and playing games in, in non-traditional spaces is a lot of work, but it, this just seems like a waste. Um, you know, people will watch it. People care. I'm not suggesting they don't, but it just seven to eight preseason games just seems a little obnoxious to me. Having said all of that, uh, a couple of news items since last we spoke. Uh, Jacob Pelche is on long-term injured reserve, shoulder injury, not surprising. He uh, took a big hit uh, earlier in the week in a game against Seattle, I believe. Uh, he is out, which is going to open up another spot. Uh, goaltenders seem to be the flavor of the day, so let's, uh, let's talk about them. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky out with a back injury for Tampa. They are expected to try and get a, another goalie. But Rob, what about Dan Vladar? He would qualify as another goalie. Uh, but I believe the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, um, are right, even with the injury, are probably right up against it. And he's only expected to be gone two months. So what's the ramifications of the salary cap if you pick up, a, you know, even with Vladar's just over $2 million? What if you bring that in? What's that going to look like? Uh, Spencer Martin, who was the backup to Thatcher Demko last year for parts of the season in Vancouver, started actually parts of the season for Vancouver with Demko's injury, placed on waivers yesterday, claimed by Columbus. Um, clearly, the Jackets are not happy with their goaltending situation. They had Aaron Dell there, a journeyman, but he, you know he's played some games for San Jose and others. They had Aaron Dell on a PTO, but they claimed Spencer Martin. Uh, so now I would suspect that in the next week or so, we will continue. A, there's going to be injuries. There always is. B, we will continue to see a shuffling of the deck. But uh, Frank Saravelli blew into town uh, and made some news. Uh, talked to Craig Conroy yesterday, and, and Conroy said, no problem putting Wolf in the American Hockey League to start this season. He had does not need waivers. Uh, you know, carrying three goaltenders is not ideal. I still believe the Flames want to get him some NHL work, and, and they can do that, uh, I'm sure. But for all of us who are kind of sitting here under the misguided in, in impression, and I am that, that, you know, Dustin Wolf would be here come hell or high water, uh, it appears that it, it's very likely he's going to start in the American Hockey League in Calgary with the Wranglers. Uh, the two goalies for the Flames tonight are Vladar and Wolf. Wolf's gotten two starts, so I suspect Vladar is going to get the start tonight and then Wolf will back up, but you never know. Um, you know, that how they break those down, uh, the minutes and things like that. Markstrom, I imagine, is going to get the bulk of the work next week in preparation for the opening of the season. Um, elsewhere, former Flame great Steve Steos is now the president of hockey operations for the Ottawa Senators. He was most recently with the Edmonton Oilers in as an advisory role. Um, Steve wasn't here that long, but I uh, really liked him. You know, he's a bright guy. Uh, not surprised at all that he found himself into management uh, post-hockey. This is a little bit, this is, you know, a quick jump from president of, of hockey op or pardon me from a special advisor to president of hockey operations but he has experience in the uh, Ontario Hockey League he he's been out there I think all of the insiders have have taken um, the opportunity to mention his name this was a foregone conclusion as a matter of fact it probably just puts a little bit of uh, a dot on the eye and a crossing of the T and there we go um other than that um some other things that we're going to get to that are very important. Um, we'll leave hockey for a second. Just want to make mention of the fact that the Stampeders are on the road tomorrow playing in Hamilton. Uh, no 
Bo Levi visit to Calgary this year. I think that's long been uh, discussed, but the fact is Bo's been hurt too. So uh, the Stamps really on the outside looking in, 4-10 and 10 with four games to go. Really doubtful that um, they're going to be able to uh, get to the postseason. I think that's a, a fait accompli right now. Interesting matchup tonight in Winnipeg. Toronto 12-1. and one. They're home and cool. They've already qualified for the playoffs, but won't have their starting quarterback. They'll take on Winnipeg at 10-4. and four. Saskatchewan in B.C., BC at 10 and 4 and Montreal in Ottawa tomorrow uh, 7 and 7 Ottawa 4 and 10. Um and just a note on the Jays, they won. They they finally scored some runs, got some hits against the Yankees last night, 6 nothing. Uh they open a series against Tampa to finish off the regular season at home. Uh they're I believe two and a half games or two games up in the wild card race. The uh, I might have jumped that gun a little bit by grabbing the number before the game was over uh, between the Texans and Seattle, but uh, not home and cool by any stretch of the imagination. Had they lost that game yesterday, I think we, you would have heard a lot of screeching and bemoaning and, and air coming out of the tire in Ontario. But I do believe this team uh, is going to make the postseason, and then it's going to be really up to the pitching. If, if the pitching can be world-class and can hang in there until the, the bats come around, um, you know, I think we did something on Matt Chapman at the beginning of the year about how he was one of the top hitters in all of baseball in April. And now he finally got out of it yesterday, but has been God awful. Um, you know, Vladdy Guerrero has not become the player that many of us projected he would be three or four years ago. Bichette's cooled off a little bit. This is a team that's really struggling to score runs. Um, I don't think anybody has them picked to go deep. But if they're going to go deep, it'll be on the backs of their pitchers, which honestly, I, you know, I, I didn't think Kikuchi could come back and do what he's done. Um, didn't think too much of what they added. Uh, but you know what? Gosman and, and they've all been lights out there. It's a really good staff. Um, that's going to be their strength. And we all know that come the postseason, pitching is what wins. So we'll see. And one last note, a game tonight at Atco Field. Uh, the uh, hometown Cavalry, the Calgary Cavalry, uh, at home to the the Valor, who I believe is Winnipeg. Uh, now, we already know that Calgary has won the regular season championship. They're seven points up uh, in this penultimate game. But interesting to hear Tommy Wielden Jr. talk about the fact that uh, no team has ever won the regular season and then won the playoffs. And that's something that the Cavalry wants to do here in year five. So uh, wish them the best of luck and hopefully people will get out there tonight. I don't think tomorrow will be a great day to be playing soccer, but you know what tomorrow's a great day, Jack, for? I'll tell you, Jack, a great day to go to the track, isn't it? Yes, it, it is, is. a great day to go to the track. If you're looking for a, uh, a day out, if you're still eagerly trying to acquire that Ryan Pinder autograph or that Dean Molberg photo, this would be the opportunity for you because I believe both are going to be in attendance at Century Downs uh, beginning at 1245 tomorrow. It's a day at the track with the Barnburner guys. Are they doing a show too? That is still undecided. Okay. We'll be doing something. They're doing something. Something will be, they're going to be there doing something. But it'll be exciting. Yes, it will. It will be. It will be very exciting. So, if you don't have plans, make plans now to join the Barnburner crew tomorrow, twelve forty-five in the afternoon. You bring the family down, Century Downs, uh, and take it in. All right, uh, we will be taking your questions and your comments later on. That's uh, 
Jack's fulfilling that role beautifully. So if you've got a thought or something you want to share with us, we certainly want to hear from it. Um, what a, a, a week for the Calgary Flames. Um, we'll start with the 21st captain in Flames history, Michael Backlund. Backlund, who I think all of us knew. Um, no, I shouldn't say it that way. That's not That's not accurate. A lot of us knew that he was the right choice. I think you could make a compelling case for Rasmus Anderson. I think you could make a case for Mackenzie Weger. I think, you know, there's some, but for, for me, it was always Michael Backlund. And I, you know, I, I, I put the glasses on and go back. Like, I don't understand why when Mark Giordano left, he wasn't named the captain. Um, he was introduced with an extension. Um, I, I defer to the barn burner crew. I defer to, uh, Ryan Pike and the Flames Nation crew, uh, you guys can decipher the, um, the, the dollars, whether or not it's too much, too little. Um, I'm happy. Uh, I think of him as a friend. I, I know I'm not supposed to do that. I know I, but, but I want to be honest with you too. Like, I, I don't want everybody to go, wow, he sure seems high. Yeah, I, I am high on Michael Backlund. Uh, I have been, uh, met him at the draft in 2007 in Columbus. Um, he had suffered a leg injury, but was, you know, projected first round pick. And, and part of the pre-draft uh, media availabilities was the day before they took the top players. So in, in that case, it was Kane and Van Riemsdyk and some others. And they, you know, they make them available to the media. And, it was, you know, I, I stuck my microphone in on Kane, but it, well, you, you couldn't get them on your own. And and I, I you know, stuck it in on Van Riemsdyk and got some audio there. But there was this guy, Mikhail Backlund from Sweden. And he was sitting on a chair and there was an NHL person with him, but there was nobody around. So it's a perfect opportunity for me to go and do a one-on-one -on -one because, you know, it makes for better radio. So I went and introduced myself and you know, so how you feeling? Yeah, you know, I'm kind of excited. And, um, you know, are your fans, your family here? Those pre-draft interviews are always so, what if you drop, you know, I, I didn't like them, but you know, you want to get the audio. So because it was for a Calgary radio station, I thought, oh, well, I'll just throw in the requisite. Hey, you know, what if Calgary calls you? Cause you know, looking at the, the numbers and everything, conceivably he could be picked by the flames. Well, he lit up like a Christmas tree and he just got a big smile on his face and I'd love to go to Calgary and then proceeded to tell me about playing at the max tournament and the billets and going around the town and how he liked it. And he thought it'd be really cool to go there and uh, light. He went, I believe he went to the dome. And so this is 2007 and, you know, Jerome McGinley was a guy that he liked to watch. So it was, you know, it, it ended fun. Like it was a fun interview. So you play it the day before the draft and, you know, the next day, you know, you're sitting in radio room. This is before they sent, I just went by myself. Boomer would join me the next year. So you're sitting there by yourself and, and flames come up and they pick and Todd Button says, Michael Backlund. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. And uh, so Backlund gets picked and then he gets the big walk down to the table and they walk by me and he kind of smiles and laughs and then they bring him over and we do the interview and haha, you know, wasn't it great? We talked yesterday and now I had an in and now you've been selected by the flames. So right from the get go, you know, I, I've been a Michael Backlund fan. Um, 
when I started, when we started our, our uh, control F camp for kids in 2012 was the first one. Um, you know, the flames foundation was a huge part of that. And they said, Hey, you know, we'd like to send a player down to meet the kids. And I thought, Oh, that'd be great to do autographs. It was Michael. So Michael Backlund was you know, 2012. He would have been 22 in that range. And he came down and he signed autographs for the kids and took pictures with the kids. And he just, he was great. Like he just, he was so good. And then, you know, got to know him covering the team. Uh, you know, he was long projected to be the centerman for Ginla. You, you remember those days, right? The, the, they were always looking for, they had Craig and Craig was good. And then they got, you know, wingers, they got Tangay and they got Camilleri, but they were always looking for a centerman and Backlund was penciled in there. And, you know, that didn't work. And, and the thing I remember the most about Bax is, or Backlund or Michael or Mr. Backlund or number 11, um, was his coming out of his second contract. So now this is about 2017, 2016, somewhere in there. And he was by many, he was considered a bust. Like they got to get rid of him. There's, you know, pretty prominent writers who have been on this program that I distinctly remember the flames have to unload backland, but they didn't. And they hung on to him. And I think he's become a, uh, an incredible second line center. I think he's be, you know, he, when he was drafted in 2007, his projection was 200 foot responsible player, second line center potential. He lived up to that. That's exactly what he is. And he's done a good job of that. Meanwhile, his wife, Frida, and Michael have learned at the feet of Lauren and Mark Giordano, learned at the feet of all the Flames alumni, Lanny McDonald and Ardell, um, you know, Jerome McGinley, and immediately started to give back to the community. What Michael doesn't get enough credit for is how much he does at home in the summer because we don't see him but has been very active at home raising money for charities, including, uh, I believe, uh, uh, something very close to him with a friend and um, was doing bike rides for cancer and, and things like that. But here in Calgary was doing a lot for charity. Fast forward to this last summer, um, you know, the King Clancy Award winner. Um, I think it's really, I, I'm, I, there's the old joke, right? Who at the trade deadline says, get me a Lady Bing Award winner? Like, nobody ever says that, right? Like, you never go, hey, is there any Lady Bing Award winners? Now, might be possible to get a possible Vesna candidate or a former Norris Trophy winner, but nobody ever says, get me a Lady Bing winner. And I understand that um, the King Clancy and some of those awards don't mean much to other people, but they mean a lot to me. Um you know, like Mark Giordano winning the Muhammad Ali Award. That, that to me, is the cool one of the coolest things I've seen around the Calgary Flames in 20 years. The fact that he was selected on an ESPN platform, a Canadian, for doing work in Calgary uh, to be honored, arguably the greatest athlete ever. Uh, and he beat out NFL players and NBA players to do it, to get recognized. And then you have, you know, a couple years later, uh, Michael Backlund. That's huge. Um, you know, I, I've had the opportunity to talk to... Backlund quite a few times. As a matter of fact, earlier in the week, I went and re-recorded some audio from 2008 in his first game 
when he played, he was kind of without a team after the uh, World Junior Championships, and Daryl put him in against the Islanders before he went to Kelowna. And I, I got the post game audio and I posted it on Twitter. It was just fun to listen to a you know he's 19 years old at this time, and oh, I just want to stay in Calgary forever is what he said, and now he signs the extension. Um, I think it's a good pick. I think you listen to the players. The players wanted him. Um, I thought it was real telltale yesterday when Rasmus Anderson said he should have been the captain a couple of years ago. I think that was really telltale. Um, you know, I, one day when Jack and I are bored, we're going to have a conversation about captains because I, 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 in some ways, I think we make it so complicated. In other ways, I think it's, you know, there's nuance to things. Um, I never bought, and, and again, I like Daryl. Ne- but I, I said it last year when he was coaching. I, li- I, I love Daryl. No problem with Daryl. Don't agree with him at all on the captain. Don't agree that it's hard being a captain in Canada. Don't agree with that. I think Daryl wants to be the captain. I think Daryl wants that kind of leadership. I think he he has a specific thing in mind that he wants from his captain. But this team needed a captain. And if you listen to Mackenzie Weger, if you listen to Jonathan Huberdeau, Nazem Kadri, Rasmus Anderson, this this has been the guy who has been the de facto captain. 56 points last year, second in, in uh, fitness testing this year. He comes prepared. So this is a long, drawn-out way of me getting to, I'm really, really proud of him, and I'm really, really happy for him. And I hope, I hope it works out for everybody. I hope that he retires as a flame. I hope you as a fan base are proud of him. I hope he gets 20 goals this year and helps the team into the playoffs. Just really, really excited um, for my friend. And speaking of friends, So I want to do something a little different today. And I'll I'll just let you know, because I I think it's only appropriate that we have such a great partner um, in Ski Cellar Snowboard, and they bring us the guests. And today there isn't really a guest, uh, but I'll get to what we're going to do here in a bit. Uh, But Ski Cellar Snowboard, two locations open right now in Calgary, McLeod Trail, Bull Ridge Road. Two more that will open up here when the snow flies. if you go to their website, it's like it's right there in bold, bright HD pictures. You can see it. The clothes, the the fashion, the 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 equipment you need, the skis, the snowboards are there. But I would always tell you that that's part of the equation. The other part of the equation are the people that are there, the people that are fitting you, the people that are advising you, the people there that are helping you. They are also like yourself, someone who's going to the mountains. They are not there because they needed to do something. So this was it. These are passionate people that know what they're selling, know why they're selling it, know who needs it. So they're not going to steer you to things you don't need. They're going to steer you to things you do need. So check them out. Uh, Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. There's an old line, uh, surprised but not shocked. Um, We're saying goodbye today to a dear friend and I encourage you if this has been something that you know you're looking for a spot to say something or whatever please jump into the text chat line and leave a text or whatever we'll read as many as we can um Chris Snow fought long and he fought hard 
Um, but we've let he, but he's he's gone. We knew this day would come. Um, you know, I was thinking a lot about this as you look at his beautiful family, son Cohen, daughter Willa, and there's Kelsey Snow and Chris. That's the NHL awards. Um, there's a tendency to make this about yourself, right? Like, you know, you come here and I'm going to tell you some stories and, you know, we're going to do something a little different. I, not a little different, but I think is a tribute. Um, and I count myself as, as a friend of Chris's, but that is a very large club. And I think we have seen that over the last 48 hours. Um, you know, Kelsey, her, her, his wife broke the news. Um, massive coronary incident, which led to brain damage, which he couldn't recover from. And last we heard from Kelsey, I believe, is that they were getting ready for um, getting ready for him to to keep helping by uh, donating the organs. Um, he, he was really, really a cool guy. Really, really a cool guy. Um, I wish you could have gotten to know him the way that I got to know him and some other people got to know him. He had a passion. He had a love. Um, he, he had a fire in him for what he did. I first met him 13, 14 years ago, knew him when he was actually a writer. So I, you know, I, I, I take for granted, everybody knows everything about Chris, um, and his family, but both Kelsey and, and Chris were writers and both of them were baseball writers. That's the other really cool part. Um, really cool part. And that's where they met. And Chris took the opportunity to leave baseball and go cover the Minnesota Wild. And I remember him covering the Wild. And I'm, we talked about this before. We, we, don't, we can't remember the specific times, but we know we came on the show and, and talked about the Wild. Um, but because of his background in baseball, because he was an, actually a very, very, very smart guy, both he and Kelsey had a... Uh, a uh, a penchant for data analytics. It was in baseball long before it was in hockey. Um, it just was sabermetrics and those types of things. While he was in Minnesota, he got the ear of former flame Doug Risebrow, the general manager. And Doug made the unusual move of hiring him from the media and bring him into hockey operations as an analytics person. And this is, Pre, prior to 2010, I believe. Um, so a long time ago, long, long before all of this became second nature. He, he worked tirelessly bringing analytics to the wild and when working with, with, with Doug. Um, it's amazing their relationship, which carries through to this day, uh, Doug was so proud of Chris and was such a big fan. Doug got let go. New administration came in. 
Chris got kind of shuffled out to a scouting position. They didn't know what to do with him. And then Jay Feaster hired him here in Calgary. And I remember, you know, the announcement came. Two, two announcements came on the same day. The hiring of Chris Snow as data and analytics and um, Clint Larchuk as the goaltending coach. And, and I remember we had both his guests and, uh, and I was just fascinated by, I mean, I knew, I knew Clint a little bit, but Clint's story is amazing too. But I was just, you know, the enthusiasm, I keep coming back to the enthusiasm. Um, met him at the dome one day and he's, he's that guy that said, Hey, you and I should go for lunch. And I don't know about you, but I got a two lunch rule. If you're that guy that comes up to me and goes, hey, we should go for lunch. Cool, let's go. All right. It, I'll do it twice, but the third time it's like, no, oh, no, this isn't going to happen. And he followed up and we went and had lunch downtown, I, I remember. And we were there for two hours and he explained Corsi to me. And he explained to me why it was important. And this was prior to Rob Volman and Greg, Ninja, Greg the Ninja and all of these guys that are kind of at the... Uh, root and the the feet of the analytics movement that that turned into be you know kind of the the dregs of society into actual nhl jobs i mean it was fascinating how quickly that happened in in 2014 but chris and i he just he could explain things but more than that he was so excited he was excited about his son he was excited about his wife he was excited about his job we would have lunch and, and breakfasts and coffees all the time, you know, regularly, three or four times a year, I guess, is regularly. Um, I did the first interview with him for Flames TV. We went back and we were looking more at video capture systems and things like that. But he was just so, so smart, um, but had a passion, just an absolute passion. And, you know, we, the, you know, more we went out, the more we could talk about things. I, I was getting frustrated in my job. I think he was getting frustrated that, you know, he, would he ever be an assistant general manager? And, and boy, I wish I could go back and say, yes, emphatically, yes, you will be. Um, and he was like, he, he, he was an important part of um, Brad True Living's team. Uh, he was an important part of Jay Feaster's team. Um, you know, he, he got along. Um, famously with a lot of people some people in the some of the older guard didn't like him because he was analytics but uh i know daryl loved to talk to him um you know craig brad pascal those guys love to talk to him and and their families all uh, got along really well and then you know go back to i believe it's you know 2019 june if i have my years correct and his diagnosis and family and you know, I'm really proud of the fact that I was able, through a friend of mine, Dan Thompson, introduce uh, Chris Snow to Dan. And Dan's a, a fly fisherman and has a boat. And famously got Brian McGratton hooked on fly fishing, but he also took out um, Snowy. And Snowy, me, and Dan went out one day. And this is how I got, how I got my nickname, a nickname. Um, so Chris is, you know, new to fly fishing. Dan's helping him, and I'm at the back of the boat. I've been before, but I wasn't a real good fly fisherman. And we were working a bank just down the Bow River, just down from Policeman's Flats, working a bank. 
and I nearly had one, missed it, came out of my knee, um, the, the stand-up, I'm blanking on the word, but the thing that kept my knees together, and casted, and I went ass over a tea kettle into the river. I fell right into the Bow River. And you want to hear chortling, and you want to hear uh, laughing. I mean, it was only two and a half feet, but I was soaked. And uh, Chris started taking pictures, and he started texting them right away to Craig Conroy and all these guys. Here I am, soaked to the skin. And um, that's, that, that's famously where Kerplunk Corner came. And uh, if you want to watch Brian McGratton laugh hard, he just, he just, every time that story comes up, he just laughs. And that's okay. I, I enjoyed it too. Um, but then Chris was able to bring his dad out, flew him out from Massachusetts. They, Dan took him fly fishing. They got that trip. And it wasn't that long afterwards that, that Chris lost his father to ALS. And that's the first time I knew or found out about the family having ALS. And that's when, you know, Chris kind of says like something I got to test for and be aware of. And then fast forward to June of 2019 and the diagnosis. And then they're in the, the in their, the, then they get into the trial program down at Miami and they get help in Toronto. And we don't know, nobody knows. And at first you can't, see any difference then we started to know differences notice differences and we'd go out for breakfast and he couldn't eat with he had to eat with one hand and you know couldn't use both hands and um it was in covid around the fall of 2020 and and it started to work his way up to his his mouth and his jaw and he had trouble communicating and we did a fundraiser on the radio uh, for the Hitman Foundation. And we had a whole bunch of guests, all kinds of, you know, great guests on. And, and we brought Brad Trilliving on to bring it home. And, and Chris joined us. And Chris joined us. The only way he could talk to us was by laying down. So he was laying down talking to us on this radio show. And it just broke your heart that here was this guy that not that long ago you were fishing with. And not that long ago, you know, you saw him coming to the dome riding his bike. And you know, was so proud of being on the ice with his kids and, and things like that. And, um, you know, we had hope. We had hope. Uh, he fought like hell. He absolutely fought like hell. Snowy strong. You remember the videos and the campaign and, you know, the people just look at the Eddie Vedder did a snowy strong video. Uh, all of the people in baseball did all the people in hockey and everybody, it was, it was amazing. It was, it was amazing. Um, and he fought and he fought and he fought and Kelsey fought and she fought and she fought and they got recognition for it, not themselves, but recognition for the need to find a cure for ALS. And he began to outlive the estimation. He began to outlive, you know, what the doctors felt the amount of time he had. And you really began to feel like maybe there's something here that maybe he's going to do it. Maybe he's going to be that guy. And he became an important voice. And Kelsey's a very important voice in ALS as they fight for the rights of patients and they write for, uh, fight for the rights for um, doctors to do, to get the right medicines. 
Um, there's a lot, you, you know, I've railed against institutional thinking before you've heard. There's a lot of institutional thinking when it comes to medicine. There's lots of barriers and, and there's probably people who tell you that they're there for a reason and maybe they are. But this was a family that had to fight through a lot of barriers. But he still went to work, still had an impact on this team. Um, but communication became a problem. And I, I, I felt bad the last couple of years. You know, he, he had things to say, and it was difficult to communicate. And sometimes I couldn't understand him. And I always felt bad about, sometimes I just shook my head and, and nodded. And then I realized that I wasn't doing him any services. Um, and then last winter, we found out around Christmas, he had, a, had an attack. Like, it wasn't good. Didn't think they were going to come out of the hospital. They did. You saw the transition this year with Brad leaving, Craig coming on board, and and Snowy getting the recognition that he did. I am here to tell you that his work continued right up till the end. And it wasn't make work projects. It was work. He impacted this team. He's impacted the decisions that this team makes. He's impacted Craig Conroy as a general manager. He's impacted Brad Pascal as an assistant general manager. Um, I want to recognize Craig and the rest of the staff and the family and, and Brad Treliving and Cassie Campbell, Pascal and Brad Pascal because they they got in there and helped. You know, if you read Eric DeHatchik's article in The Athletic, it was brilliant. But this wasn't, these are friends. These are real people. And that's the one thing about Chris is I'm talking like I'm his only friend. I'm not. He had tons of friends. He had them in, in the hockey world. He had them with his kids' sports. He had them from baseball. Um, you know, it, it's been interesting watching the peer group, you know, talk about their interactions. You know, Darren Haynes wrote about a story he wrote with The Athletic. And Chris had this unique way of making everybody feel like they were the most important person, um, that they mattered. Um, and I know we hear that all the time. I know. Um, but I just wanted a representation of, of Chris because I know not we didn't all get a chance. We didn't all walk those hallways. We all didn't bump into him. We didn't, you know, I got a text in August. When are you coming over? We got to get together and sit and talk. Absolutely. Let, let me know when. And, you know, never got back to him. Um, when I came back to this, and I said this at the time, my motivation to come back and do this podcast was I wanted to talk to Kelsey Snow that that's the interview that I wanted to do. I wanted to find a way of getting Peter Marr back in on and talking hockey and Eric DeHatchuk. But the interview that I wanted to do was Kelsey Snow. This family has chosen to live their lives in the public eye. And while that may seem exciting for some, it does have its risks and it does have its drawbacks. But they made that choice. Kelsey's podcast is, which it's hard to listen to. It's raw, it's real, and it hits you flat in the head. 
it's supposed to be. Um, I wanted to talk to her because she was absolutely bulldog-like in, in loving her husband, protecting her husband, advocating for her husband, making sure that the family um, stayed together, did things together. I have an incredible amount of admiration for Kelsey Snow. When we did that interview, I had a lot of people comment on it. I was really proud about it. It had nothing to do with me, but it had to do with, now I get it. I can't believe how, power, how, how strong she is, how powerful she is. She doesn't want this to end. She doesn't want to rest. But she said on that podcast how tired she was. Um, young Cohen, Willa, both won't have their dad. But I know this family well enough to know that he will leave things for them to read, to remember him by. They will know how much he loved them. The next part of what we're going to do here, I accept the responsibility if some feel that it's self-serving or over the top or greasy or promote, but I've gone around and I've asked a few people who I trust. Um, I want to play part of the interview with Kelsey. I want to go back and revisit that conversation. I've seen a lot of tributes to Chris and Kelsey, but I've also seen a lot of people you know, reach out and, and go, I don't know, I didn't know them, but, or, you know, I never met them or anything. Uh, I could have walked away uh, in March, I think it's March 28th, I think is when this interview was. I could have walked away and, and not done the show anymore and would have been happy. Not that I wanted to or anything, I'm just saying that I was just blown away. And it has nothing to do with me, has everything to do with the answers. All it has to do with the answers. So if you'll indulge me, um, Jack is going to go back and we're going to play a, a, a portion of that conversation with Kelsey because I want you to hear her in her own words, uh, the decision they made to live their life publicly, the decisions that they had to make day in, day out to, to allow Chris to continue to work and to continue to do things, the way that this disease impacted their lives. So with that said, uh, we're going to go back and spend a little time with Kelsey. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. 
Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Decision to live this publicly. Tell me yeah. about the decision to, mm-hmm. you know, tell your story like this. Yeah, Chris was diagnosed in June of 2019. We went to Miami. Um, in Miami, they have the the first and longest running familial ALS research study. So his dad was actually um, a part of that study. So mm-hmm. when we um, when we had a doctor here to tell us, oh, we, I think this is some form of motor neuron disease, we called Miami. And they said, you can come in a week for a research visit and you can see Dr. Benatar as the doctor there. Um, and so we went down there. Um, it was over Father's Day that year. Um, we left our kids. It was the first time we'd ever had to leave our kids. Um, and we were sitting in the cafeteria there at the uh, University of Miami um, building where we were at. And, you know, Chris just said, we're going to, you're going to tell this story for us and we're going to do something because we hadn't really done anything um, to raise awareness or funds mm-hmm. uh, before that. And so it felt like we had a decent platform. We right. knew that, you know, the we know that sport in general uh, rallies around people in situations like this, and we know the power of the hockey community. Um, and so we knew that that would be a chance for us to really, you know, try to make a difference. And I started that at that point, I started writing a letter, um, addressed dear hockey family. Mm -hmm. And it was in December then finally that we did end up going public. Um, and the way that we did that was the flames posted that letter that I wrote on the website. So it felt also like, you know, as journalists, we want to control the message and, and, you know, telling it ourselves gives us the chance to do that. It, I, I'm going to say this, and I know you're you're going to chuckle. People are going to chuckle, and it, it's not a, an attempt to kind of. I'll just say it. When was your Howard Stern moment? Because if you watch and read private parts, Howard Stern talked always about going up to the edge, mm-hmm. and then if he was really going to take, he had to go over the edge. Yeah. When was your moment? Be, because there's, I I can't imagine there's much you have not talked about. Yeah. So there's telling your story, but then there's also going up to that edge and going, no, no, we're going to tell all of it. Did you have a moment like that? Um, I remember having that conversation and saying to Chris, like, I'm not that conversation that day in Miami and saying, I'm not going to hide the hard parts okay? because I don't think that does anyone um, any justice or mm-hmm. it doesn't do a service to people who are going through hard things to pretend like this is easy for us and to pretend like this is great and that a terminal illness makes marriage easier or something makes parenting like you know we all want to say like oh we have this moment and now we live in this place where we're always present and we can appreciate every it's like hallmark moments all the time like that's yeah. not reality yeah right we got to go back to real life you do have that little bubble period i think when everything feels just like concentrated love it's mm-hmm. like the most pure love you've ever experienced and then eventually some kid your kids are going to start getting stomach flu. You got to do laundry. They need snacks for school. You got to run them in different directions to different activities. And 
and the sixth time in the hospital just feels annoying instead yeah. of like yeah. terrifying yeah <laughs> you know and and that's the reality of it and you have moments where you just you know lose you lose it because it's it's too much the kids lose it i lose it Chris, we all screw up in these situations we're all just trying to figure it out the best we can and the best way to make people feel like they're not alone in what they're going through is to not hide the hard parts i think i i applaud you on on your bravery okay. i'm not sure that i could write or articulate that i got up this morning and i didn't want i just didn't want it you know i, yeah. I just want to quit yeah you, and I'm not, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but yeah. for all intents and purposes, you've had those and sure. shared those moments. That yeah. That's ballsy. Like It doesn't feel that way to me. Really? It feels like, I don't know if I'm just a chronic oversharer, but I, it feels to me like a release to just say, this is what it actually I'm going through. Yeah. It feels, I, I don't like things that aren't authentic. And certainly if I'm going to share what we're going through, I would feel very hypocritical. Right. Uh, it would feel very inauthentic for me to not share all of it. Just pretend that it's all like all these great moments. And we've had a ton of great moments, like a ton of mm -hmm. like scrapbook for life moments. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, mm -hmm. we go through the list with our kids and it's hard to, <laughs> okay, throwing out a first pitch at Fenway park or whatever, like these yeah. things that are great, but, yeah. you know, maybe 20 minutes before that something happened where there was a moment of like, ah, uh, because that's what happens in our life. And we just have to try to like, okay, that happened. I'm sorry that happened. That was on me or whatever. And now we move on. I think where it struck me again, when I was preparing for this, I think you wrote it. I don't think it was in the podcast was, you know, he was out before Christmas and everybody, Oh, it's going to mm -hmm. be a great Christmas. You survived Christmas. That's how you did like, again that's that bravery and i think it's so important for people who are in the, who are going to or in that situation to hear that too because now you're part of some community that it's okay to say these things absolutely and, and i think that you know i don't ever want to make somebody feel i struggle with everyone saying like nobody talks about grief nobody knows how to talk about grief and so in that sense i think that people who are grievers can do some damage to that conversation by saying like well this was the wrong thing to say that was the wrong thing to say mm -hmm. this person and so mm -hmm. then people feel like i don't know what to say and now i'm frozen and i'm going to say the wrong thing and i don't want to and so i try to always give people like the benefit of the doubt i know that they're they mean well yeah. and sometimes that yeah. i can do that and yeah. some days i'm like you know but i when someone comes up to me and says something i know it's because they want me to know mm -hmm. that that we're on their minds mm -hmm. and then i also feel like being able to say in my blog or in my podcast like this is what it was really like. It gives them a chance to understand when I was, when you came up to me that day, I didn't have this emotional capacity to answer your question. So that's why I said, we're hanging in there, which is my like stock answer sure, when sure. people say, how are you? Yeah, yeah. But I also, I think also in that need for me to be sort of authentic, I, I, I want, I don't have the time to say like, well, actually bleh, all these things are, are not great, but then I can write it. And then you can know, actually, even though you might have seen me laughing today, things are still hard. Oh, because I think that's a hard thing for grievers is to to let those moments of joy seep in and then and, and then pe worry that people think all of a sudden, oh, she's OK. I saw she's good. They're fine. Yeah. You know, because people want to believe that mostly for themselves because they don't want to think that life's hard and sadness stays. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. And so there's there's a need to understand that sort of duality of emotions that happen at the same time. I can laugh and I'm sad. I'm never not sad. <laughs> it just comes with the joy. It comes with like they're they happen at the same time. So a couple things. One, thank you uh, for writing it because you know I'm I'm fortunate enough. I I text you know with your husband every once in a while, and I always say anything you need, twenty four seven. You know, here I am. Go yeah. you you. And I'm like, well, they never ask. Yeah. And then I listen to the podcast. I get it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's not about like everybody's great. Like you have resources if you need them. Yeah. That's not what that is about. That's about that's uh, about you as a family, yeah. right? And yeah. how you need to to process things. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, during that time, nobody was during that time during Christmas. Nobody was going to be able to help me, to help us, to help Chris. Like that. That was what it was. And as we say to the kids, like. And always talk about that book that I read to the kids when they were little going on a bear hunt where these, you know, these kids are going on a bear hunt and they have to face all these different obstacles in nature and they can't go over it and they can't go under it. They have to go through it. Yeah. And so we talk about it all the time. Like you have to go through it. And if you don't go through it, it's just going to come out in other ugly, unhealthier ways. You know, not that it's always healthy the way that it does come out, but you have to sit in it. You have to honor it and you have to experience it. There's no running away from it. Mm -hmm. That's reality. And we had to do it ourselves. Do any of your caregivers listen or, or read what you write? Because it seems to me that this. We what, don't have any caregivers. No, I meant healthcare workers. Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry, doctors. Yes. And no, no, that's what yeah. I meant. We don't and have I, any the, it was yeah. the wrong terminology. But yes. what I meant by that is it just feels like this is important for people in the health. They do a great job. That that's not a criticism of them, but it, it comes from such a place of honesty and and you know just straight truth that I can't. I, I just can't understand why this wouldn't be a benefit to somebody as a nurse or a doctor, or somebody to have read or, or listen to this. Yeah, I think that probably every time we're in hospital, there's at least one or two people who know who we are yeah. and say they follow the team and they followed our story. And and we've had doctors and nurses, you know, thank us for the the advocacy work and the awareness raising that we're trying to do. Um, you know, we when Chris was at first admitted to the ICU in December, the the nurse that he had was like, all right, everybody, this is Chris Snow, but he goes by Snowy. And like, he knew who he was and, and, you know, he had like a flame scrub cap and everything. And so, um, you know, those things are huge. Yeah. Uh, anytime you can stand out, mm -hmm. uh, as a patient, uh, anybody who's been a patient knows that that's good for you, for you, you know, for, you don't ever want to think that a patient is getting less attention or less, but you know, I am Chris's voice in the hospital and yep. I'm a loud voice in that way. And, and that, that helps. You need advocates. Yeah, you, you know, do. You need advocates. When did you, one of the things that strikes me as I listen to the podcast now is how you picked up the vernacular, how you picked up the words, how you are. The you medicalese. Know, yeah. And, and I know that there's a, a big push. Well, you know, you, you know, my six years of university beats your 10 minutes on Google. That's not what I'm talking about. You have picked up the medicalese. When did you notice that? Do you see that in yourself? Do you switch into, you know, Kelsey? Yes. You know, advocate, I guess, for life, better. you do, eh? Yeah, I think that the more informed you can sound in talking to a doctor or a nurse, the, the more they're going to talk to you like mm -hmm. an equal, mm -hmm. which is what I want in that situation. I want them to understand how invested in Chris's care I am and how well I understand his disease because there are going to be times when I don't, when I think that something different should be done based on what I know of Chris and I'm going to fight for that to be done. 
um, I'm going to do it with, you know, respect and, and, Mm -hmm. and calm. I'm never worked up or anything. And honestly, we've had such good experiences with care. Uh, we've had great, great, great experiences with care here. So I don't want it to seem like I got to, you know, put on my gloves and and go to war for him. But you would for sure if you had to. Yes. I always joke that early in our marriage, we went one, one year for our anniversary to Napa. And I like in talking to doctors with this experience, which was that I would go into a winery for a wine tasting. And I noticed that if you said like two semi-intelligent things about wine, the people who were like pouring the tastings would be like, oh, if you like this, and they would take you off the tasting menu because all of a sudden they're like, oh, she understands wine in this different way. Right. That's the same thing about talking to doctors. It's like, oh, she knows about this new medicine or she knows about this clinical trial happening or she understands this about the way that um, the coffeeist machine works or that whatever, you know, I would say at least two times now on a given hospital stay, somebody thinks I am a nurse, which is like the <laughs> ultimate compliment for me. Okay. And sure. I would just say that I am an expert in Chris. Okay. Like I am an expert yeah. in Chris in his disease and what he needs. And that's my job. But you, what worried me, Kelsey, I was going to ask this question and you were going to say, yeah, there's sometimes where they look at me as the pushy wife. I've never I, felt that way. Good. Yeah. I've never really felt that way. Good. Yeah. I, and I don't think I've had to be, you know, I, I, and you know, I'll never forget when Chris was in the ICU, the doctor, one of the doctors that he had there, um, he like pulled me over to the nurse's station, pulled up a chair, opened up the x-rays, showed me what was going on with Chris's lungs, and then like looked at me and said, everybody in this ICU feels a little bit about Chris the way that you feel about Chris. We all want Chris to get, we're all rooting for Chris. We all want Chris to get out of here, to get better, to go home. Um, and so when you feel like people are invested um, in your husband, um, and in your family, that's huge. And honestly, that's another reason to share. It, right. it it helps to feel like people are pulling for you, whether they're the doctors or whether the people at the saddle dome who give my kids fist bumps when mm-hmm. they see them because they recognize them, you know, to feel like you have this whole community of people just like hands on your back. It's not a small thing. Listening um, to the most recent podcast, you had Chris on as a guest, I guess. Yes. Um, <laughs> To me, I was fascinated by the communication that you two have. You know, I still hear my friend. I still hear his voice. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also finished or or said what he was trying to say. You articulated it mm-hmm. for him. Are you consciously aware of that? Is that just something that 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 you do now? Or is it, you know, just life in the snow house? That... It is the hardest part of his disease is his lost to clearly communicate is it now inability to clearly communicate he can still communicate but to clearly and immediately communicate what he wants to say because mm-hmm. you knew chris before yep. so you know how quick he is how clever he is how like i know i'm biased here but how he's generally the smartest guy in any room i was in yep. and i knew you know, I loved watching him in those situations. And so I know how painful it is for him to not be that person anymore. Uh, he not only has to pick his times when there's sort of a, a space and conversation that he can enter, he also has to figure out which words are going to be most uh, intelligible based on the specific challenges that he has with his speech. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, and then, you know, he might have a, a good like one liner that he wants to say, but if I don't, un- if, if everyone else doesn't understand it and then I don't understand it clearly the first time he tells me to tell everybody, then you lose that moment. And that's hard. Those little moments are hard. Right. And so 
But you had that moment. You had those moments in the podcast. Oh, sure. We right? do. Yeah. yeah. The, the one-on-ones are a lot different. Uh, a big a, a, a group is much harder because okay. it's a louder situation. Right. Uh, like a social setting is definitely a different scenario these days. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I will always say that nobody understands Chris more clear, more, more perfectly than Cohen, our, our son. He's 11 and he just, he, he's, he's the lead interpreter. If I can't understand something Chris says, I'll, Cohen, can you tell me mm. what dad's saying? And, and, you know, I was, I ran into, um, one of the, one of my friends, um, whose husband works for the flames the other day at the mall and she had. Uh, her husband um, had given Chris and Cohen a ride. Chris can't drive anymore. A ride to a couple Wranglers games, um, and she just said how her husband just said how amazed he was at how mature Cohen was yeah. as an eleven-year-old, and how there were things Jordan wasn't understanding about what Chris was saying, and then Cohen would just he was saying this, you know. And I was like, yeah, I think I sometimes lose sight of of that too about the the different ways that that my kids have grown up, but. Communication is hard. Um, it's the thing that probably makes us the most sad. You took me to where I was going to go next, which is Cohen and Willa. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't, I, again, you have to listen to the podcast. took my breath away when you're talking about Cohen and how he's assumed things and is taking things upon himself. And I think the, the general sentiment is you guys were not happy that he has to at, at this point, but he's already decided that he's going to oh, play yeah. a role, right? Yeah, he said to me, sort of the, there's a couple of medical things that I do that no one else at this point, we don't have anybody else to do them and they need to be done in the morning and they need to be done before bed and they need to be done, you know, here and there throughout the day. And, you know, we're in the process of getting some home care, um, but we don't have it yet. And so, you know, there are times when I want to go out with some friends at night and I need to make sure I'm home at a certain time so I can help Chris with this or when I'm gone, maybe he needs it. And and the other day in the car, Cohen said to me, mom, I really want to learn how to do suction and cough assist because like then you won't you could go mm-hmm. and be with your friends and like at 11 you know i know we always say that like it's going to make them better people the more they're more under they're more understanding humans already at 11 and 8 years old than most kids are um they have a a different understanding of what happened like when someone does something at school acts out or whatever they have this sort of different understanding of what must be happening yeah for that person right, right. what's underneath this or yeah. whatever um but we wish in a heartbeat that they could just not have these things not learn these lessons though they're valuable how is willa doing with all of this and and is willa dad's daughter or mom's daughter or where does yes. where does she slot in Willa has always preferred me long before <laughs> <laughs> long before chris's diagnosis i am her her favorite person um and i'm honored to be uh you know willa has gotten a lot better at at talking about how she feels she's so good at telling people you know this has been a challenging year for us we have a lot of hospital stays mm-hmm. um icu uh you know two hospital stays in october an extended stay in in december um and you know her teachers have sent me messages saying that she's gotten up in front of her whole class and said like this is what's happening in my family and if I'm sad this is why or if I don't feel like playing at recess this might be why and you know that's amazing to be eight years old and to be able to learn uh how to voice your feelings and and share that sort of vulnerable mm-hmm. the vulnerable parts of you um you know she's she's spunky and she's 
she's feisty and she, I never want to see that go away. So I like that she still will push back. There's, I don't need her to be, you know, handling anybody's emotions with, you know, kid gloves or whatever. Like she's, she's, uh, she's a strong-willed, uh, little girl and she has deep, deep love for her people. You know, I find notes all over. I found a note yesterday on my computer that she must've drawn on my iPad. You know, my name is Willa Snow. You know, my, I'm the daughter of Chris Snow. He's the bravest dad in the world. And I love him with my whole, and I find these things yeah. sort of everywhere. Yeah. So they both, they both do those things. And, um, you know, they're good reminders of, of what the kids think about all the time. There's a note on our back whiteboard, like where our big calendar is that, that Cohen left and I haven't erased it. And it says, you know, the snows, it was right at new year's that the snows have made it to 2023. You know, the fact that they're aware that that's, um, something that's not a given is is a hard thing as a parent sure it is because we want to protect our kids absolutely and i think i've said um several times now that the hardest part of this is realizing that we can't protect our kids from the hardest parts of life what can you protect them from i can protect them from being dishonest with them i can protect them by showing them as best i can how to be communicative about how we're feeling um you know i can help give them the tools by through therapy and other things that they they might need mm -hmm. and i can just be there you know oftentimes our kids aren't looking for us to fix their problems and we're actually doing them a disservice by trying to they yeah. just want to be seen just yeah. like we all do they want to be validated they want us to sit there and say that sucks this really sucks and i love you yeah you mentioned it before the support from the hockey community ab abroad. What, it, what does it mean? What's, what's surprised you, if anything, about it? What has surprised me about it is how complete it has been and how it hasn't wavered. Mm. Like we're almost four years into this. And sometimes I say to my friends, like, I'm sick of myself. I'm sick of like, mm -hmm. I'm sad. I'm sad. I'm sick of it. Yeah. Uh, so other people must be sick of it. But we keep having these things where people just show up for us in these amazing new ways all the time. And it's every time I'm shocked by it. And then I know I shouldn't be because this is what we we keep seeing it. You sure. Know? And it's it's just it's been. You know, I, I think before Chris was diagnosed, Calgary had become home for us, but it's taken on a whole different, mm -hmm. whole different meaning now. Yeah. Uh, we feel such a part of this city and we feel so loved by this city and by this country, really. It's not in the hockey community as a, as a whole, but you know, the, from, you know, the appearances on, on hockey night in Canada with our kids there, you know, these are, these are the stories that are writing, you know, the, the moments that are writing our right. story and, and, and our community and our country are, are right there in all of them. Tell me about the, the snowy strong helmet stickers and how that came about and I know that that's kind of dominated social media for yeah. you as well. That's been awesome. Um, Willa played U9, uh, U9 Cactus Warriors. <laughs> that was their name. I love it. Yes. Uh, for the Northwest Warriors, that's our community um, hockey association. And lots of new people on the team. And I always say I'm not, I'm never looking for new friends at this point in my life, but I always find them at hockey and I, I oh, you're too good. I got to take you with me. Now you're stuck. <laughs> um, but early in the season, Willa's head coach, uh, Brent Booth came up to me and said, you know, I don't know if you know this, but my 
my wife's sister actually died of ALS and, and for a rare disease, these stories come up not more common. Than we yeah. Think. yeah. Um, the dad of the hockey, the manager on Cohen's hockey, hockey, the, one of the dads on Cohen's hockey team, his dad died of ALS. So like, they're just, these stories are everywhere. But anyway, he came up to me and he told me this and he, he had a little emotional talking about it. And then, you know, I talked to his wife's name is Sarah and I talked to her about it throughout the season here and there. And then, you know, obviously we had a lot of, a lot of hard things during mm -hmm. this hockey season and we need a lot of help. And then, um, I don't know, must've been only a couple of months ago now. Yeah. I got well addressed for a game and I walked out of the dressing room and our team manager, um, her name's Tova Stewart. She walked up to me and she said, I made these stickers and I just wondered if it'd be okay with you if we wore them on our helmets and they have the corn flower, which is, um, sort of the, the international symbol for, for ALS and this beautiful cornflower that she drew. She's an artist. She's a beautiful artist. Mm -hmm. Um, and then they say snowy strong on them. And I was just totally taken aback. I had no idea. And Sarah had brought the idea up to Tova and then Tova made the stickers. Um, and then I think Tova thought we'd maybe we'd sell some or give some sure. to like Cohen's hockey team, a few other warriors teams who I have friends, yep. you know, yep. things like that. Yep. So she thought maybe about 200 stickers and I think we've sold 6,000 stickers and raised $9,000 and I'm getting posts on Twitter, Massachusetts girls hockey teams are wearing them just like yeah. everywhere. And you know, it's, it's amazing. Um, and I don't know if I'm breaking news here, but I, I think the flames are going to wear them this week. Really? I think so. Oh my. I think so. So if I'm wrong, I'm sorry, That's all right. but I'm pretty sure that that is, that is happening. That's outstanding. Yeah. So, I mean, the fact that we could go from U9 community hockey yeah, all the way to the NHL with these little stickers and but, that's totally organic. But that's, that's really, and I, I don't want to disconnect it from U2 or U4 actually. But in many ways, that's really what Snowy Strong has become. It's become this kind of rallying cry for good in hockey, right? Or good in sport, really. You go back to the videos that, during yeah. COVID. I mean, mm -hmm. that had to have been... Trick shots? Yeah. yeah. That was so fun. Right? Yeah. From everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's about... I hope that what Snowy Strong means to people is resilience and perseverance mm -hmm. um, and and gratitude and you know finding a way to see the beauty in life even when things are hard and i think that you know sp sport is such a good example of how to do that you know i recently read um the bear town series that frederick bachman wrote i don't know if you've read them but it's all about hockey town and it's the good and the bad yep. of hockey but there's there's so we just we thought we'd kind of stop it there um the part about what snowy strong is supposed to mean um you know about resiliency and and you know gratitude uh just so much um love for this family um we say goodbye to our friend chris we collectively wrap our arms around uh kelsey willa and cohen um do want to let everybody know that there is a gofundme currently up uh to assist the snow family uh that's available uh, if you go to gofundme you can just search uh help the snow family oh or you can there it is <clears throat> thank you i can tell you that it's already 
uh, when we took that photo, it's already $4,000 above that. Also, you can go to the Flames website, Snowy Strong for ALS, and you can donate uh, directly to ASL research, ALS Research. Um, and as of today, they've raised $575,000 as well. So um, ways that you can be part of this, uh, ways that you can help. Um, but uh, yeah. So I appreciate the, the opportunity to replay that conversation with Kelsey. I hope that for those of you who didn't see it, it just gives you a little insight into her and the family and, and what they've gone through. And um, nothing, nothing is ever going to make um, Chris come back, um, but he also won't be forgotten. <sighs> yeah. I do want to open it up briefly here. Uh, any questions or comments? So Jack, I'll come over to you. I know this isn't that kind of day, so I don't suspect there's a lot of questions. No, just a lot of people showing lots of support. Um, no questions today, but I am curious if you could kind of talk what Chris did do for the flames day to day and let yeah. people know a little bit more about that. Sure. So Chris um, built out their analytics department. So uh, when he first got here, he was a one man show and a lot of that, started off with video capturing and and the logging of of uh, of video clips as that technology evolved um chris then began to develop and design uh specific analytic formulas and uh data that was proprietary to the flames he would add staff um, and he would bring on people to help him with video collection and, and programmers to develop uh, the data. Um, he would then be responsible for disseminating that to the scouts and and the and the you know management staff. Um, he was then elevated into an assistant general manager position. So along with Craig and and Brad Pascal, he would have provide input on potential trades, what contracts should look like. He uh, did work quite significantly on the contract side of things is my understanding. Um, you know, coming up with comparables, um, you know, I, I said it when um, they made the trade for Toffoli, I thought that that had, how, that had all of his fingerprints all over it. That, um, you know, they went and got a younger version of Toffoli from an analytic standpoint. Um, those are the types. So when you go, well, geez, I didn't think about him. They must have just plucked the name off of a, a roster. No, they didn't. That's the work that Chris and his staff would have done. Um, and he, you know, again, as an assistant general manager, played an advisory role to Brad Treliving and, and to Craig Conroy on their decisions, um, you know, drafting decisions, player personnel decisions. Um, he was, he worked his way up from what at the time, when you think about it, you know, was kind of like, why would you do this? Why you, you hired a, a nerd? Well, he was never a nerd. Like he, he saw how the game, where the game was going. He saw how you could interpret the game. But I think it's also really important to point out that he was, and I know we got into these, uh, oh, you, you want to turn the game into a bunch of numbers and, you know, the eye test and all of this stuff. Uh, Chris was always very respectful of the work that scouts did and, and never looked at it as a replacement, but always looked at it as an augmentation and, and an adaption. So um, he was a guy that, that, you know, could present very well, 
made a lot of pre presentations for the Flames, made a lot of presentations on behalf of the Flames. Um, but yeah, he really grew out what started as a one-man show into what I believe are now, when you look at that whole department, I think they're into double digits in terms of staff. Um, so he really had a large role to play in that. And I think you look at guys like Rob Volman and, and others who have gone from, you know, kind of being on the fringe to mainstream, then to actually being hired by teams. They point to Chris as, as being a pioneer and as somebody that they look to. And, and he, he was a mentor for a lot of people. Did I have a question come in from yeah, someone? Sure. What, um, sorry if you brought this up before. What is your favorite moment with Snowy away from the ring? Uh, well, it was Kerplunk Corner. I mean, it was me falling into the Bow River. Um, we had one hell of a seafood meal in Denver. We went out one night and we had one hell of a seafood dinner in, in, in Denver. Um, and he knew how to order oysters. He knew like, I I'll eat them, but I don't know how you order them. Um, but we had, we had some really good conversations. Um, we had a few inside jokes, um, you know, that were, were fun to kind of, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, but yeah, I, I would say the Kerplunk Corner when I fell out of the boat was probably the biggest, but man, we had one hell of a seafood meal in Denver one night. It was, it was awesome. It really was. Yeah. All right, gang. I appreciate that. Um, last thing for you today. Uh, just recognize our good friend, Neil, and the gang over at Ski Seller Snowboard. SkiSellerSnowboard.com, 76 years uh, in Calgary. Uh, Cloud Trail by Chinook Center, Bull Ridge Road, Northwest. Two more locations will open once the uh, weather, uh, well, becomes snowboardy. How about that? Ski Seller Snowboard, SkiSellerSnowboard.com. Uh, we are back to three times a week starting next week. Uh, that means Peter Mahar, Bonesaw, joins us on Wednesday. Eric Dehatchek joins us a week from today. Um, but now we got stiff-armed by Pike, eh? Like, now Pike says, I can only do one week, one time every two weeks. What? I know. I know. Well, I saw him driving around with the, like, the, the big dogs are in town, eh? Yeah. So you and me and RJ are sitting here doing a show, and the big dogs are all having a high-level meeting. Well, I believe he's at that high-level meeting. So, you know, he's, he's, he's traveling with a better group of people is what i would say yeah he couldn't get out of here fast he could not get out of here fast enough he up. rob might be here i do not want to be in the same room as that guy so we'll find somebody for for monday i got some some irons in the, the fire um reminder again uh you can help uh gofundme for the snows uh that is at gofundme and snow the snow family help the snow family um my final thought is again, tomorrow, truth and reconciliation, um, orange shirt day, um, take an opportunity. I, I know that, I know that sometimes it, it seems like we're always lecturing and, you know, we're an ally and you should, this one's important. Uh, and the biggest advice I can give you is listen, just listen to the stories. Um, it's, it's wrong on all levels. It's wrong. And the fact that some of it still is perpetrated today continues in institutions and institutionalism is wrong. We need to stand up. Um, we need to support each other. And uh, for me, you know, I can't thank Brent Dodging Horse. I can't thank Dr. Tyler White, Barry Phillips. There's so many 
uh, advisors and, and friends that I have that have helped me on my journey and um, it's made me better. Um, I just, I encourage everybody if, if you're going, well, what, what really is uh, Phyllis Webstad started uh, Orange Shirt Day? You should look up Phyllis and, and her story. Um, but it's just a day for reflection. So, um, yeah, I'll leave it there. Um, all of our love. All of our thoughts go to uh, Willa, to Cohen, to Kelsey, and to all the friends of Chris Snow. Um, he fought hard, hard, but he doesn't have to fight anymore. And there's some value in that. So hopefully he's at peace. Talk to you on Monday, everybody. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.